0: Welcome to the Informed Traveller podcast, part of the Informed Traveller radio show, heard on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveller. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. So Aeroplan is rolling out their new travel rewards program. So in a few moments, we're going to chat with Patrick Soika, founder of Rewards Canada, to get the lowdown on the pros and cons of the program. Plus, the folks from Booking.com recently came out with the results of a new survey titled Nine Predictions for the Future of Travel. So we'll see what some of those are. And in honor of Remembrance Day, a bit later in the podcast, we'll visit the Bomber Command Museum of Canada, located in Nanton, Alberta. But to begin, as I mentioned, Aeroplan is rolling out their new travel rewards program. And whenever we talk about any kind of travel rewards we like to call on Patrick Stoika. He's the founder of Rewards Canada. So he joins us now to give us the lowdown on some of the benefits and features of their new program. His website is rewardscanada.ca. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Randy. Thanks for having on your show again. So how big is this change that Aeroplan is doing today uh, in the world of travel rewards? Are all eyes on Aeroplan right now?
1: They sure are. You know, this has been uh, many years in the coming. Um, they revealed a lot of the program back in August. You and I talked about it back then. Mm-hmm. But now now it's here. It's it's live and, and raring to go today. So it,
0: it, it's huge news in the world of loyalty and travel rewards. So let's compare the old versus the new Aeroplan.
1: For the most part, I'd say the new Aeroplan is better. There's, Of course, there's pros and cons. Anytime a program changes it goes, it goes through big changes like this, uh, there, there's some give and take. Um, so we're seeing things like uh, Aeroplan's got rid of those nasty surcharges that we all complained about for flying on Air Canada. On Yay! You, 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 <laughs> could redeem, <laughs> you could redeem for flights on some of their partner airlines and pay $80. Um, this is, say, going on United to Europe out of Canada, it'd be like $80 in fees, but to those same flights on Air Canada was like six dollars or $700. So those are gone. Hallelujah. Those are gone. Mm-hmm. Because Air Canada realized, well, now that we own Aeroplan, we we're not, you know, trying to push these fees onto Aeroplan; they have to absorb it themselves. It's like, well, we want people to fly on our own metal instead of other airlines. So, mm-hmm. so they've got rid of that, but surcharges have gone across the board for, for all their airlines. Um, so we see that, but that's where, that's the give, but the take is that they've moved to even more dynamic reward flight pricing. So the amount of points, which as uh, of today is no longer Aeroplan miles, it's Aeroplan points. Um, the amount of points that will take to redeem for flights, and for a lot of them, that is going up. Um, and so that's the take there. So they're kind of, you know, building in some of those fees into those increased amounts. But because of this dynamic pricing, if you're traveling during a low season seat sale, there are times where you're, where you're going to be redeeming less points than you would have in the old program and not paying fees. But there's other times where you're going to be paying more points, but you're losing those, you're not paying those fees. So you have to, you would kind of have to do the research and see, yeah, do the math. It's like, yeah, you know what? I'm paying 10,000 more points, but I'm saving $500 in fees. That that's a big difference. It's mm-hmm. worth those extra ten thousand points. So it's really, it's really going to vary. And and the program, the new program has some really good sweet spots. The new Aeroplan is really good for from Western Canada to Asia to Hawaii um, compared to the old program. But it does get more expensive to places like Europe, uh, Middle East, and stuff like that. So so again, it's a little bit of give and take here um, with the program. But that's kind of just a roundabout thing. We could go on for hours talking about all the changes.
0: (laughs) Sure, exactly. Uh, Well, let's use an example. I have thirty thousand aeroplan points, which I do. What happens to that? Like when you say it's converted into miles, do I still? Is it a one for one conversion, or do I have less now, or is it just going to, as you say, take more miles uh, for me to get a flight?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, they convert one to one. So your your current thirty thousand miles goes is now thirty thousand aeroplan points. Um, you can still like in the old program, that 30,000 could be good for two short haul flights between Calgary and Vancouver in economy class. And more than likely you're still going to be able to get that. In some cases you may be be from what I've seen paying less than that, a little bit less. So, um, like I said, there are certain areas where the program has become more valuable, and that's kind of one of the areas there. So the the miles that you knew them are still the same points now. One to one. If you have a million, you have thirty thousand, five thousand. That's your balance going into the new program, and depending on what sort of rewards you had your site set on, um, you probably have not lost any value, or if you've lost, you may have lost a little bit of value. But again, you have to take the whole equation into account, and in that you're probably going to be paying less in taxes and fees on mm-hmm. the reward flights.
0: Well, that was good because it usually, uh, you know, if you did a short haul flight, for example, you'd still be paying, you know, up to 100, sometimes 200 dollars in fees. So then, you, you know, if you if you could find a seat sale, it's not even worth using your points, exactly. right?
1: Exactly. And now, and now, because it is more dynamic and fully integrated into Air Canada's system, they even have options where you can do partial point redemptions. Um, so if you only have five thousand points and you're redeeming for a fifteen thousand point flight, they'll let you do five thousand points and pay the rest in cash. and, and they're um, and they're they're very competitive at those rates. again, mm-hmm. it, it kind of ties into what Air Canada' is charging cash wise for flights. Uh-huh. but they but they do have kind of caps, minimum and maximum caps on the number yeah. of points. So there will be times where you can get really good outsized value from your points. There'll be other times like, yeah, you know what, it's just better. I'm just going to pay the $199 to buy this ticket. Instead yeah, of for points sure.
0: For it. Again, it all depends on where you're going and when you're going. So are there blackout dates or anything like that? And how many seats are available?
1: You can get access to any seat on any Air Canada flight, um, so long as it's available for sale for cash. And it will vary in points pricing. Um, there's no blackout dates, but again, you can probably expect to be paying more during those high seasons, yeah, spring of course. break, your your summer seasons. Of course, with the the current situation with the pandemic and everything, a lot of tickets are pricing cheaper. So hopefully, that means we'll see cheaper uh, point redemption rates mm-hmm. due to due to that because they they do want to fill the seats on the planes. Yeah. So, like I said, there's certain areas that, that I think have gotten worse in the Aeroplan program, but others that have have gotten better.
0: Patrick Soika is the founder of Rewards Canada, rewardscanada.ca. All the information is there on the changes. And I'm pretty excited about it, Patrick. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. So thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks again, Randy. Well, Booking.com recently came out with the results of a new survey they did titled Nine Predictions for the Future of Travel. I thought it might be interesting to see what some of them are since our whole world has been turned upside down with the COVID pandemic. So to tell us more about the survey and its results is Adriana Mentia. She is the regional manager for Booking.com Canada. Hi, Adriana.
2: Hi, Randy. Very happy to be uh, here today.
0: Well, let's talk about the uh, survey Booking.com did. Uh, nine predictions for future travel. I'm not sure if we'll get through all nine of them. But tell me about the survey itself, who you uh, surveyed, and what was the goal behind it?
2: So basically, uh, we uh, Booking.com has combined an extensive survey research with its own insights to reveal key predictions for the future of travel across the world in the coming year and beyond. So we did a survey to 20,000 travelers across 28 markets, more than 500 Canadians. And uh, also we combined the 20 years of travel ex- expertise that we have to see uh, uh, what will happen uh, in the next year.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> it's all up in the air, so it's kind of nice to to maybe get a, a feel for uh, what people are thinking out there. Let's start. There's nine different findings that you had. Uh, the first one I have on my list, anyways, is uh, wander. Must. Explain a a little bit about Wander Must for us.
2: Wander Must basically goes with uh, people continue to show that they love to travel. Uh, And this is like a trend that that we're seeing. Uh, So even though like 59% of the uh, Canadians are still hesitant to travel without a vaccine or without a treatment, there's a lot of willingness to keep traveling uh, with the conditions that we have. And, for example, one of the things that we're seeing is that 34% 34 are wanting to rebook what they were not able to do in 2020. We are also seeing that 30% want to celebrate in 2021 with a trip what they were not able to do in 2020. So a lot of expectation to travel around. And also I think it combines with the domestic uh, Traveling uh, where people want to still discover Canada and discover their province.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's good news that people want to travel. They want to use up those uh, travel credits that they've uh, obtained. I would bet if you did this survey again in January or February after some cold weather, those numbers would go up. Do you think? For sure. Uh, Let's talk about uh, some of the other ones now, Uh, especially this one. I found this uh, interesting, working remotely and the effect it is going to have. A lot of people are working from home now, and according to your research, um, either they'd be willing to quarantine when they come back, if they could work remotely, but uh, also kind of combine a working vacation so they could go longer, right? Am I reading those numbers right?
2: You are reading correctly. So we're saying, like, uh, the trend is bye-bye, 9 to 5. And uh, one of the things is that it's not only about work balance, but work integration. And work you work remotely will play a key part. And what we're seeing is that or people are extending uh, their holidays to work abroad or to work in a cottage or uh, to work in another place that are not their homes. Or what they are really doing is ha- – Planning a workstation where they do a mixing between working and being in a different surrounding, being a place where they could be outdoors and they can see more than their four walls or their houses.
0: And this kind of goes hand in hand with some of the stats that come out from uh, one of the categories called Simple Pleasures, I'm just looking at uh, 34% preferring to stay in a vacation home or an apartment rather than a hotel. That kind of fits in with uh, the, the idea that you can take some work with you, do you think?
2: Yes, it goes very online. To the extent that one of the filters that we're having and um, that you can find in booking.com is Work friendly, and we're even developing a new filter that will, co- will be called Laptop friendly. So uh, people will try to have the simple pleasures and have more outdoors, while they can also have a very good accommodation where they can uh, mix uh, their life more
0: Mm-hmm. so they can combine you know that homey feeling with you know eating out maybe a little bit more often uh, as you would in a hotel or or making it more like a vacation right
2: exactly one of the filters that we're seeing booming is uh, kitchenettes, so the opportunity of also being able to cook while you are in your accommodation. So that's also something that has been become more important. And as you say of simple pleasures, I think simple pleasures covers a lot. So 73% want more simple pleasures. Uh, the, uh, 50% are claiming for more places where they can have uh, clear air. 57% want more rural experiences. So simple pleasures will sure be a trend that we're already seeing in 2020.
0: And people still like the beaches, don't they? I'm still looking I'm looking at this stat, 36% like their beach breaks. There's nothing better than, you know, instead of you know taking a break from work and then just being able to go play at the beach for a couple of hours.
2: Exactly. And what we are seeing also in Canada is the lake beaches were very important for summer 2020. And for sure, for 2021, will come a big player there.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what is spontaneity?
2: That's that's a, that's a way, great word of of saying it. And basically, what we're seeing is that technology will be key for spontaneous travel. So basically, the technology will be cl- be playing a key part for the recovery of the industry, where we see that basically the we wanna people wanna have more increased flexibility and transparency where when they book. They want to, 51% are already saying, I want to be able to do last-minute booking for a restaurant. 50% are already seeing that they want contactless check-in. So it's like, how can we keep being spontaneous, but how can technology help us? And uh, we are seeing also that 78% of people want to be able to book in a booking platform. So that technology will play a key part so we can still do this last-minute traveling, uh, between our provinces and in the future a little bit more inter and hopefully international once again.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it kind of goes a uh, little bit hand-in-hand with more uh, touchless technology as well, right?
2: Exactly. And one of the things that is also very interesting is that in that part of technology, people are also wanting to, when they book, they want to understand if uh, the health and safety uh, measures that each property has. To the extent that for booking, it was so important that we also made a filter for that. So if all the health measures were uh, being in the accommodation, and this has had a very good uh, acceptance between our customers.
0: And I guess, too, uh, technology also goes back to that uh, saying bye-bye to 9 to 5. You can work any time when the technology is there anywhere in the world pretty much now, right?
2: To the point, uh, like going to the data points that I also found interesting, Even, like, 33% of the Canadians are already looking into that and also, like, uh, doing it.
0: Well, lots of interesting findings, nine predictions for the future of travel. You can find them on the Booking.com website. Adriana Mantia is the regional manager for Booking.com Canada. Uh, Thanks for your insight on all of this, Adriana. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Randy. Very nice conversation, and uh, thanks for hearing our travel trends.
0: Well, in honor of Remembrance Day, we chose to visit the Bomber Command Museum of Canada, located in Nanton, Alberta. It is a cool place to visit if you're a history buff like myself or an aircraft enthusiast. Its main highlight is a restored Lancaster bomber from the World War II era, but there's lots of other aircraft and memorabilia to see. So joining us now to talk about it further is Doug Bowman. He's a volunteer for the Bomber Command Museum of Canada the website is bombercommandmuseum.ca. Hi, Doug.
1: Hi, Randy. How are you doing?
0: I'm good, thank you. Anyone that's driven by the uh, museum in Nanton can see the Lancaster bomber through the windows. I always glance through, and maybe if you're lucky, it might be outdoors when you're driving by. But tell me the story of the Lancaster that's there. It's a fascinating one.
1: It really is. Um, uh, the, the Lancaster that you're seeing was built in Canada, it's a Mark 10. Uh, The designation is FM-159. That Lancaster did not actually fly in the war. It did uh, fly over to England, uh, basically hung around right at the end of 1945 and then came back to Canada. But it did have quite a varied career flying out of uh, Comox. And it also was very instrumental in mapping of the Arctic, as you probably know after the end of the war, Between, say, 1945 up to 1960, there was a lot of exploration still going on in Canada. Uh, Eventually retired in uh, 1960, 1959, 1960. Interesting part is that there were three guys in Nanton, George White, Howard Armstrong and Fred Garrett, and they were looking for ways to draw tourists into Nanton. They wanted something to draw people in off the highway, so they hit on this idea of, let's salvage a uh, bomber from uh, Balkan where they were being sold off and uh, cut up into pieces and uh, bring it back to Nansen and put it up by the highway and that would draw people in off uh, of new highway too. So we have some really really excellent eight millimeter video of or not video it would be eight uh, millimeter movie film of the bomber uh, we have photos of the bomber being hooked up to the tow truck that towed it cross-country. And in the background, you can see another Lancaster literally being chopped to pieces. We came back close to losing it. So, so we call FM-159 the Lucky Lancaster. Uh, they dragged it across country because the undercarriage was too wide to fit on the roads. And there's tales of them cutting fences and crossing the Little Bow River. But eventually they got it to Nanton and they parked it at the side of the highway as planned where it was subject to the, the vagaries of the winters and the weather and the vandals and the birds. <laughs> um, so it kind of fell into disrepair. They put it up on post in 1962, where it stayed until 1981, when the Nanton Lancaster Society was formed with the aim of restoring the aircraft to at least uh, museum quality. And at that time, of course, they had the vision to have it eventually running one day.
0: And now um, we have it so, there, right? Now it's there today as is.
1: Exactly, some 45 years later, they have, uh, in, in 2014, we had our first run up with all four engines operating. Um, we had a, they decided to put it into a building and they built a metal structure around it. It had a gravel floor, um, uh, Bob Evans was the curator at the time and actually Bob just passed away last winter and he said to me you know we put a frame and structure around that around that airplane and he said people started giving us stuff and I knew we had a museum so I thought that was <laughs> kind of, <laughs> that was kind of an interesting tale so we've grown quite a bit the, the facility is now 37,000 square feet we have 13 aircraft we have library archives restoration shops. I like to think we have one of the best concentrations of Merlin engine technicians in the country and uh, they keep that plane operational. It will never fly. It would uh, take millions of dollars to make it flyable Mm -hmm. and uh, there's no nearby nearby airport or runways to try it out on anyway. So we just kind of trundle it around on the apron in front of the building.
0: Well, it is really an amazing sight, and it's an amazing museum. You're right. There's more than just the Lancaster bomber there. There's lots of other artifacts. Uh, really, if you, like someone like myself, you can spend a whole day there and uh, drag your children through, with, <laughs> and they keep looking at you. Can we go to the candy store soon? But <laughs> but right, right, tell right. me the role of the Lancaster during World War II. How crucial was the role of the bomber itself? Arthur
1: Harris, who was the, um, who was the air, Bo- air marshal, he called the Lancaster his shining sword. And the Lancaster, along with the Halifax, uh, were, in fact, the pivotal aircraft that carried the war to Germany since between about 1941 up to 1944. And, in fact, until the Allies invaded Normandy in June of 1944, it was the only um, offensive effort against the German war machine carried out during those years a terrible terrible toll more than 50,000 uh more than 50,000 air crew lost their lives we have the uh the wall it was built during the summer of 19 uh, sorry summer of 2005 and it really put the museum on the map nationally five granite panels 41 feet long and has 10,673 names engraved on it of RCAF aircrew that lost their lives during the war And if people are interested, we actually have a portable version that we can loan to schools and legions and other places that would like to host it. And we even have an online version where people can come online and search for names of relatives or other people they might be interested in. And that really was the point where the museum went from being kind of a local attraction to being on the map nationally and getting national recognition.
0: Mm -hmm. So what's a visit like to the museum now? Obviously, we're under this COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, You can do virtual tours. I understand.
1: That's right. We have uh, we have a virtual walkthrough that's actually pretty realistic. Um, the uh, The COVID the COVID restrictions are in place, so of course we're we're observing social distancing. We're recommending that, but there's lots of space there too. So interior, exterior. Uh, certainly to walk around the Lancaster when it's parked inside is an impressive experience, but there's a whole series of aircraft there that not only are wartime aircraft, but also uh, the aircraft that were part of the British Commonwealth Air Training Program. And um, that's another sort of pivotal event that the museum recognizes. Um, It was a program where Aviators and uh, aircrew from across the British Commonwealth came to Canada to be trained to fly, to fly in general, but all of the aspects—navigation, bombardiers, gunners, etc.—were all trained here in Canada. And in fact, Roosevelt called Canada and the BCATP, the British Commonwealth Air Training Program, the Aerodrome of Democracy, which was, I thought, a great, a great <laughs> slogan. So we have uh, examples of many of the aircraft. We have an Anson. We have, of course, a Harvard. Uh, The newest edition, the uh, Cessna Crane, a twin-engine aircraft that was used for training, has come in. So all of these aircraft are basically sitting and accessible to the public. Not that you can get in them or climb on them, but you certainly can get up close and Mm -hmm. have a good look and get get an experience of the size of the aircraft.
0: What's your favorite uh, artifact there?
1: Well, I think one of the things I like best is the Halifax restoration that's coming along. We're uh, through the program called Rescue 57. um, Our current curator, Carl Karsgaard, is working with a Swedish recovery crew to lift the remains of a Lancaster that, uh, sorry, the remains of a Halifax that crashed in uh, Swedish waters from the bottom of the sea and bringing it up and that is being built into that is forming parts of what is going to be eventually a restored and running halifax really Uh, part of it part of it is being built in ottawa and uh again because of covid things have slowed down but we expect this summer this coming summer that we should have a um a large components of it will be coming to coming to nanton to begin to be assembled so yeah the the ultimate goal here um is to have not only a running Lancaster but also a running and taxiing Halifax, so if you can imagine we 'll have two full size four engine bombers in operation that the public can come and see running and and you know go through on tours et cetera
0: yeah uh, to
1: that end to that end, we have an expansion program underway where we 're building a fifty thousand foot building in what is now the baseball diamonds behind the existing museum. And um, the plan there is to have a, lar- a building large enough to, ha- to house both of the bombers. As a side benefit, the existing museum will become the community center for the town of Nanton when we change over to, uh,
0: to this new structure. Wow, exciting times. Obviously, Remembrance Day is going to look a little bit different this year. How so?
1: The Legion is going to stream the ceremony. From the Cenotaph in Nanton, it will be streamed onto the Bomber Command Museum of Canada curated public group starting around 10.30 in the morning. They are not encouraging people to attend. The wreaths will all be laid, and essentially they'll just be a small
0: ceremony. Uh, tell me the hours and, uh, and when you're open.
1: So the museum right now is open 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Saturdays and Sundays, probably right into April. It is a very family-friendly environment. Admission is by donation. The website is bombercommandmuseum.ca. We also have uh, both a Facebook page and we have a uh, public curated Facebook group that we encourage people to contribute to.
0: And there's a candy store across the street.
1: (laughs) And there's a candy store across the street.
0: Uh, It's the Bomber Command Museum of Canada. Bombercommandmuseum.ca is the website, and Doug Bowman is a volunteer with the Bomber Command Museum of Canada. appreciate your time on this, Doug. Thank you.
1: My pleasure, Randy. Nice chatting with you.
0: And that is this week's Informed Traveller podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveller radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website at theinformedtraveler.ca. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know, leave us a review, tell a friend. And if you want to drop me a line, my email is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler, or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.